0: We're, we're in the fourth part of, of a series called Grace, and we've been thinking and speaking about how life is exhausting. I think there are certain phrases that we hear often that just prove how exhausting it is. Some of the phrases I was thinking about this week is, the early bird gets the worm, right? If you're fast, if you're quick, then that's for you. Um, no pain. No gain, right? There's no such thing as a as a free lunch. There's always some kind of string attached. And I think it's okay when we're able to be the early bird to get the worm. I think it's okay when we can sustain the pain because we know that something is coming. But what happens when we can't meet those expectations? Like what happens when we're not the early one, when we're not the fastest, when we're not the smartest, when we're not the most educated, when we are not the ones with the most resources, whatever that may be. What happens when you don't meet the expectations that others have put around you? Whether it's a friend or a spouse or a neighbor, a boss, I think that's when life gets exhausting, right? Because as long as we're able to reach the goal, we feel pretty good, right? It feels good. I, I, I accomplished. I met it. Kind of like running through the ribbon. You tear it. That feels good. But when we're not able to do that, it just changes everything. It changes our outlook. We suddenly become afraid of not measuring up. We become anxious, perhaps some depression. Those things start to grow little roots in our hearts and our minds about our identity. There's some bitterness, perhaps some anger. We lash out because something in us is telling us this is what was expected of you, but you didn't meet it. And there's a lot of that. Like since Since a very early age, I shared with you that we hear it with our kids all the time. If they're smart enough, they're put in this advanced track. If not, then they're held back a little bit. And it continues through grade school and high school and college and life as we know it right now as adults. So we live in this world, unfortunately, where it's achievement. And then we might wink and accept then we might give the thumbs up, the green light, and say, it's good, you can come in now. But we're focusing on the fact that life truly is exhausting. And that's why we need grace, right? This is why we come to the series, How Sweet the Sound of Grace. How sweet to be able to fail and know that... We're still accepted, namely by the one who counts, which is Christ. The one who says, it's my daughter today on your on your worst day. That's my daughter. And I'm well pleased. My beloved. Think about those words. That's that's my that's my boy. That's my son. Not because of the achievement, not because of how he can impress me. But despite the inability to impress, he says, you're mine. So, what is grace? I'm going to read with you. I'm going to read to you what Max Lucado says about grace in this short little book. He says, the meaning of life, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life. God answers the mess of life with one word. Grace. We talk as though we understand the term. The bank gives us a grace period. The seedy politician falls from grace. Musicians speak of a grace note. We describe an actress as gracious. A dancer as graceful. We use the word for hospitals, baby girls, kings, and pre-meal prayers. We talk as though we know what grace means, especially at church. Grace, grace is the songs we sing and the Bible verses we read. Grace shares the church parsonage with its cousins, forgiveness, faith, and fellowship. Preachers explain it, hymns proclaim it, seminaries teach it. But do we really understand it? Do you really understand it? Here's my hunch. We've settled for a wimpy grace. It politely occupies A phrase in a hymn fits nicely on a church sign, never causes trouble or demands a response. When asked, do you believe in grace? Who could say no? Have you been changed by grace though? Shaped by grace, strengthened by grace, emboldened by grace, softened by grace. Snatched by the nape of your neck and shaken to your senses by grace. God's grace has a drenching about it, a wildness about it, a whitewater riptide, turn you upside downness about it. Grace comes after you, it rewires you. From insecure to God secure, from regret riddled to better because of it, from afraid to die to ready to fly. Grace is a voice that calls us to change and then, the, and then gives us the power to pull it off. When grace happens, We receive not a nice compliment from God, but a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is grace. The title for today's message is Stubborn Love Equals Extravagant Love. If you're a note taker, um, this would be your title to begin with. So from the very beginning of Scripture, we find out that God is 100% fully holy. Holy tells us that he is set apart. Holy tells us that he is unlike us. Deuteronomy 32.4 says that there is no wrong in God. Everything he does is perfect. And then it talks about us, creator, right? Capital C. And he talks about creation. We're not fully holy yet on this side. He's working in us. But we're folks who are broken, folks who struggle. We are folks who have outbursts of anger and selfishness and bitter and pride. We are folks who don't put the needs of others all the time. We are folks who instead of using our words to encourage are quick to cut down, are quick to point out the faults and the cracks. We're quick to serve our needs and serve ourselves well. So there's a distinction here. God, creator, creation. And the scripture tells us that when you have a holy and perfect God and you have unholy people who are broken people, it says that the two are not compatible. We learn that if we are in the presence of a holy God, then the very power of God would finish us off so it seems like there's this big problem right holiness and perfection and this high standard and then we come into play where we fall short and this is where we begin to see this morning a story of grace a story of of grace entering through a tent, and it's a plan that's compelled by love. His perfect love, his stubborn love, pursuing rebellious people. He hears the cry of his people. A little background on God's people is that for hundreds of years, there were slaves under the regime of the Egyptian pharaohs, worked long days out in the sun, whips on their backs, being forced to work. And then there's a plan which is compelled by love, and God is moved with compassion. Compassion. Grace is a catalyst. And he says, those are my people. I will reach down and I will save and I will free them from their oppression. I will free them from their captors. I will give them a new life. Fullness of life. Abundant life. More than enough life. But if we're not compatible with a holy God, then what happens? He wants us. He desires us. He wants a relationship. And he comes up with a plan. And the plan is, I'm going to live among my people. I'm not okay with just being a cosmic and distant God. It's not about you charging up the mountain every day to find me. It's my love is so extravagant that I have come down to dwell among And he says, this is what we're going to do. I have my holiness and I cannot compromise my holiness. So I want to dwell among you and I'm going to give you a blueprint. I'm going to give you some detailed instructions for you to build me a tent, a tabernacle, if you will. And he says, I want you to have certain rooms like this and the courtyard has to be like this and there has to be certain curtains in this place and the lampstand has to be this width and this height. And there are a bunch of details. And his desire is to be with his people. He's coming up, he's devising a plan to live among us. And the people say, yes, we want that. A holy God, the one who saved us from hundreds of years of slavery. Don't miss that. The God who flexed his muscle in our moments of weakness. We were chased out by the Pharaoh and his army. We were just peasants. But yet we saw the arm of God separate the Red Sea, destroy our enemies. And he's not done. That wasn't enough. He says, I want to be among you now. So the plan build this temple for me I will live in a temple and I will be your God and you will be my people who wouldn't want to be with a God like that right saved provided for every single need and as quick as the people are to accept and agree That's exactly how quick they were to rebel as well. We go to Exodus 32 so we can see the response of the people. I'm using an app called Bible App. We're going to go to Exodus 32. So God has just provided. God has just said, I want to live among you. The people have just seen his goodness and his grace and his love. Yes, we accept. That's amazing. You want to live with us? And this is their response. The people saw that a long time had passed. And Moses had not come down from the mountain. So they gathered around Aaron Moses' brother, while Moses is up on the mountain with God. And they said to him, Look, Moses led us out of the land of Egypt, but we don't know what has happened to him, so make us some gods to go before us and lead us. Aaron said to the people, Bring me the gold earrings that belong to your wives, sons, and daughters. So the people collected all their gold earrings and brought them to Aaron he took the gold from the people and used it to make an idol. Using a special tool, he shaped the gold into a statue of a calf. Then the people said, Israel, here are your gods. These are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Think about that for a moment. The people just saw God's hand, God's grace. 400 years of oppression and slavery. It's hard to fast forward through that and say, "Okay, a 400." Sure, I've heard the story before. 400 years of misery. God's grace comes and looks for His people. His compassion moves Him to save. His compassion, Exodus 3, 7, hears their cry. And he steps in. You are my people. They said yes. And then they respond because the timeline isn't what they wanted. So they decide to build themselves a God. A God that they could shape, structure. This is comparable to what would happen if you found somebody to be with and that person became your spouse and on your honeymoon night, your spouse goes and has an affair with the person next door. I've already given you everything have already provided, have already proven myself to you. And the people respond with rebellion. Not your way, God, but my way. My way is better. I mean, that's our problem, right? That's a reminder of our brokenness. But we see the beauty of His Grace. The people are off sleeping with the other person on the wedding night. Adultery at its ugliest. And what does God choose to do? How does He respond to this? With stubborn love. It says that He gives them not what they deserve. Not justice. Oh boy, don't we love justice. Especially for those who do us wrong, right? They should get what they deserve. It's you paid for. See, grace only sounds good when we're receiving. But the moment it's required of us, our hearts start to boil a little bit. What have they done for me? how could they ever repay me? Don't they know who I am? You've ever heard those words? You you ever spoken those words? Entitlement? You ever been around somebody who often refers to their situations like, I deserve? And God responds through all of our rebellion... All of it. I'm talking about like birth to present. And it gets better because it includes future rebellion. And he is a God who chooses to stay. While the affair is happening next door, he is a God who chooses to stay. He's not a God who walks away and says, I'll see you in court, the house and the cars and everything is mine. He's a God who loves us so ferociously that he keeps coming to us and saying, Give me more. Because I desire to be with you so much that that is my motivation, a relationship with you. That is stubborn, ferocious, extravagant love. That's grace. Not what we deserve. But on the contrary, what we don't deserve, and he gives it hands open, wide open, abundantly, like flowing off of the table. That's how grace works. It's free for the recipient, but costly for the giver. And this is a difficult concept to grasp when every day we wake up and we head out to be able to perform, right? Perform for ourselves, perform for the expectations of those around us, and then this concept of grace just crashes. It says this is who I am. mercy And unconditional, and it gives again, and then it gives again. It has no qualifiers, it has no conditions. It's a gift, it's pure and simple. It takes the power out of our hands of saying, but I deserve. And it says, I'm going to give you abundantly forgiveness and love and acceptance. And the beauty of all that is that he says, as you're rebelling against me daily, in all of our ways selfishness, pride, outrage outrage, bitterness, anger. And the list goes on and on, right? He still chooses to say, That's my boy. First John three one says this. Consider the kind of extravagant love the Father has lavished on us. He calls us His children. Consider it for a moment. You, your heart. Not your cousin who you wish was here listening to this message because they're so rebellious, you think that they need it more than you. No. Consider it for a moment. Your life. is lavished extravagant love and when we keep biting the hand that feeds us does he rip his hand away nope he puts it out again and when we punch him in the jaw he sets the other side because he's a fool who doesn't know how to stand up for himself no because his love is stubborn And grace changes everything. So, this is how I'll close up the message part of this morning. Today, Jesus is on a mission, on a stubborn mission. On a ferocious mission, on a preposterous mission. Think about what that means ridiculous, nonsensical. And what's his mission? To have his hands open and to say, There's grace, son. To say there is grace, daughter, today. That's his mission. Jesus, thank you for your word. That accepts. And has done everything for us. It is truly beautiful.